This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Blood Red podcast. I'm with Ian Boyle, Joe Rimmer and David Lynch alongside me for this one. Liverpool take on Newcastle United on Saturday lunchtime. We'll be previewing that game very shortly indeed. We'll also take a look at Jurgen Klopp's press conference. But there is, of course, something else that's been going on that you might well have noticed throughout this week. Jordi, that's where we're going to begin and I'll come to you first. I'm, of course, talking about this European Super League, which is sort of formed and then collapsed within the space of a couple of days. What have you made of the events of this week? Well, who knew that that was going to fail, apart from everybody who knows anything about football? Uh, I think we did the podcast, didn't we, the other on Monday, where we all said, it's never going to happen, never going to happen. And sure enough, it didn't. I think the, the only interesting or worrying thing is that it got as far as it did, which, you know, if you, as we said at the time, the kind of giveaway that it was a little bit of a rush job towards the end was the was the website, which wasn't up to much, was it? I mean, if you're going to be a, what is it, three billion pound industry, you probably want to, you know, get get somebody other than like my dad to do your website for you. But uh, yeah, it just was, it was, it was, it was just stupid. It was just utterly and utterly stupid. And the more that the reason that nobody, none of the clubs came out and said anything about it at the time is because they probably thought, not so much, well, the fans aren't happy about this, but. Okay, they're not happy. How can we justify it? And then they looked at it and went, there's absolutely no way that we can do this. I mean, I wrote something on maybe Monday or Tuesday. I mean, all the days just merged into one this week, to be honest. But it was along the lines of how long is it going to be before the English clubs go, hang on, there's six of us here. There's only three Spanish and there's three Italian. We're the most powerful ones here. Why don't we start getting more money? Because that's just the way that, that that happens in business. And that's what this was. It was a business decision, wasn't it? Not a sporting decision. Otherwise, how could you have only have 12 teams in what go up to 15? And they're always there, no matter how bad they may end up being. But the Premier League clubs probably would have thought, well, we're more powerful. We should be getting more money. And of course, as it turned out, I said, I mentioned if one of them goes, they'll all go. That's exactly what happened. I must admit, I wasn't expecting it to happen within about 24 hours of me actually writing it. But you know, that, that was the way that it was going to be, because, simply because the more you look at it, you look at the only person who's come out and said anything of any note about it is the Real Madrid president, Florentino Perez. And the more he says, the more you realise, hang on, this is just about Real Madrid and Barcelona and to a lesser extent Juventus and possibly some of the Italian clubs going, well, we're not actually, we're losing loads of money here and we need to make some money fast. And these Premier League clubs are really, really, you know, they're, they're still making a lot of money. Okay, they might not be making as much as they used to be, and they may be acquiring debt over the last 12 months, but they're still nowhere near as in a bad position as we are. And they've got a much higher ceiling that they can reach when the fans start coming back. So the gap will keep on getting bigger to them in terms of their actual funds. So I think they thought it, they saw it as a, as a way of perhaps even in the, you know, the play level in the playing field between the the rest of the clubs, the leading European clubs, and the uh, and the ones in England. It was interesting that obviously Paris Saint Germain who don't need that they were like not interested really in this in this super league and of course it was were led to believe it was city were the ones who were dragging the feet over coming in because they don't need the money because they've already got such a massive amount of backing um by Munich was a bit different i suspect they knew cannily knew what was coming in terms of response from supporters because obviously in germany the okay i wouldn't say that they're more in tune with fans but they're certainly more involved simply because of the you know the the ownership model that they have over there which i'm sure, which has seen a bit of debate over the last few days here in england so i think that's why they were a bit you know reluctant to actually to to show any interest in it so 
overall, it's just, as we said on Monday, it's just a complete and utterly stupid idea that was doomed to failure from the moment that it, it came out. And the fact that you've got JP Morgan coming out and saying, like, you know, who are the ones who possibly above anybody out of the people involved could have kicked off and gone, hang on, we were going to do this and we're missing out on all this money. They've gone, actually, this was a really stupid idea. We're really sorry. So for them to come out and say it, you know, underlines just what a misguided seven days or whatever it was that period was it 48 60 hours it was and in the end the one thing that they were trying to control which was you know uefa and the power base there the clubs involved have ended up losing all of the power that they had because it's now gone to who'd have thought it paris and germain and Bayern munich so clever play by them and that's uh that's probably yeah why Bayern munich were the are still the reigning european champions and paris and germain may end up becoming the new ones it almost felt a, a bit surreal, Joe, as it played out. There seemed to be updates every few minutes. Things were changing so quickly. Afterwards, and, and when we look back on this, is it just a sense of relief that it didn't get any further than what it did? Is that the overriding emotion after that? I think so, yeah. I mean, Tuesday night, it was Tuesday night, wasn't it, when it all got called off? As Dory says, it, all the days have sort of merged into one. But, yeah, Tuesday night was all very surreal and it just seemed to snowball. But, yeah, I mean, as Dory said, I, I can't quite believe that it ever got as far as it did. It, it felt like maybe, you know, Sunday night when, when the, the statements all came out that those clubs involved were almost, I don't know, pressured or rushed into to coming out and admitting their involvement in it. And that, like Dory says, I mean, I don't know whether is your dad um, offering cheap quotes on websites at the moment, Doily? <laughs> I'll tell you what, if, if, if you could actually see the screen, that would be a kind of a bonus, yeah. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, because someone just lashed that website together as quick as possible. So it was all very strange. It seems to brush through, but I, I cannot believe it got off the ground. And, and as Doily was saying then, I mean, very well played by by the likes of Bayern Munich and, and others who sort of had the ability to read the room, no, it's it wasn't going to, A, that it wasn't going to be popular, and B, that it probably wouldn't get off the ground and kept the noses out. And not just that, also sort of got some good press out of it as well. And the, the biggest thing I'm disappointed is from a Liverpool point of view is just how could they not see this coming? And, you know, we've talked at length about it, so let's not go over the old ground. But the one thing I think FSG are going to learn from this is get some people around you that are telling you the right things or start listening because how they let themselves go this far down this road and then were forced into another disaster of a, a, a you know, a, a, a apology video and all that, you know, I, I don't know because, you know, anyone could have told you that this was going to prove universally unpopular. So I, I can't believe they got themselves into this mess. I suppose that just to add to that, I suppose the one thing, the reason why they did get themselves, I think it was given away by the email from, from, uh, Billy Hogan and, and Tottenham, I think, alluded to it in their statement. Is I think all the English clubs were scared. Nobody wants to be the one club that stayed out of it, just in case it did get off the ground and then they were left out. Because I think Billy Hogan said, we need to be at this table. But even so, it was never going to get off the ground, as Doyle says. And, you know, the fact that they couldn't read that is slightly worrying. It seems, David, like there might be some protests outside Anfield over FSG off the back of this week when Liverpool play Newcastle tomorrow. They can't really have any complaints if that is the case, can they? They kind of have brought that on themselves, really. Yeah, because I think this is a moment as well, and I think fans realise that that this is a real, you know, a moment to capitalise on, you know, a real show of unified fan strength, the sort that we haven't seen in terms of 
real unity between clubs who would typically be rivals and, and, and real show of fan power that's that's made a positive change and a really you know big change as well. Um, so I think this is a moment that, that fan groups in particular will see as a moment to, to use and, and push for further change. I think you know one of the things that, that could be a major positive that spins off from this, and, and Jurgen Klopp talked about it today in his press conference, was it, it might even spike the UEFA reform. So so the clubs like Liverpool and Manchester United who who would have benefited from that, you know, team, Liverpool specifically, I'm thinking of, you know, this season maybe not going to qualify for the Champions League and would have been given a back door there by UEFA. And he might even lose that now, you know, you know, according to reports, those reforms are coming under pressure because at the end of the day, they, they resigned their places in the ECA, didn't they? They now don't have a say at the table. They don't get to decide whether those things happen anymore. And I think UEFA wouldn't have allowed those changes to happen without this pressure, this constant threat of a Super League that's now been played out and it is done. So, you know, that that's good news. And I, I think these protests do need to keep up so that we can, you know, stay on the front foot in those terms. And and it's just it's just crazy, isn't it? Because, you know, it, what Joe said there about sort of the English clubs didn't want to sort of miss out on being part of it. And, and, but I, I think, you know, certainly from Liverpool's perspective, from everything they've said before and a lot of the mistakes that FSG have made previously, I think it's obvious that they... You know, maybe not Spurs, maybe not Arsenal wouldn't have been drivers, but I think Liverpool certainly would have been, you know, heavily involved in in pushing for something like this because it's just right up their street, isn't it? FSG, the the sort of things they've said about the way they want to make money in sports, what they used to from American sports, and all the suggestions were that Liverpool and Man United were at the forefront of this, and I think they more than anyone as well have have less excuse to do it because I think. You know, Real Madrid you could, and Barcelona you could absolutely excuse for being at the forefront of it because they've got debts and, and you know, you can question their motives by saying, well, OK, if you've got a problem about being in a billion dollars, uh, a billion euros worth of debt, then maybe don't pay Gareth Bale £700,000 a week or, or whatever it is. It's very, you know, not too far away from those sort of ridic- ridiculous numbers. If you, if sustainability is the aim, and I think some of the English clubs touched on this in the statements, if sustainability is the aim, then run your club sustainably. And I think if you're going to give FSG a little modicum of credit is that outside of the horrendous decisions they've made around ticket prices and things like that, they do run Liverpool sustainably, which meant, therefore, that they had no excuse to want to be part of something like this. So I think that was purely motivated from their part. It's not to pay off this huge debt. They weren't in a position of desperation. I think just purely by by the greed and I think... I think these protests need to to, to keep going and, and, and pressure needs to be put on these ownership groups because there's absolutely zero excuse for it. It was just poorly thought through. It wasn't worth as much money as they thought it were. And, and, and fans absolutely hate the idea. So, yeah, I think I think they should, they should push and they should keep all this pressure up because as long as this government review is going on and, and that's about to start now and has been pushed ahead, again, another case of the clubs shooting themselves in the foot, as long as that's going on, as long as the fans keep their voices loud and show this unified stance and I think re- this could be a really watershed moment for football and, and, and change things in the long term We're not just stopping here at the Super League but changing the Champions League changing the way that money's redistributed throughout the pyramid and you know the, the, the rights that fans have as well We spoke at length on the Liverpool.com podcast a couple of days ago about this and I just wanted to, to get your sort of take on it as well Doyle in terms of FSG and their future I mean Obviously, there's going to be protests. We said they, they've brought them onto themselves. But is it almost a case of, of it's better that Liverpool continue with them maybe than, than go down the route of a, a different ownership model, even if they, you know, which, which we understand that they don't, but even if they wanted to, to leave Liverpool, there, there are worse owners out there, even if they have made mistakes. 
Well, the thing about that is that it's not up to Liverpool supporters in to a certain degree to then determine who's going to be the new owners. It never has been, has it? You know, whether there should be new owners. It's totally different, so you can't compare it to the Hicks and Gillette thing because, what, Liverpool at the moment are still the reigning Premier League champions having just last year or the sorry, 18 months ago been the world world champions and, and won the European Cup, whereas under Hicks and Gillette they were 18th and about to go into administration. So, you know, totally different situations. Um I think it was interesting in John Henry's apology that he basically put it all on himself. Now, if we take it his word, you know, if we take him at his word, are we, are we then like led meant to believe that it was entirely on him and he was the person behind all of this and who agreed to it and absolutely nobody at the club was, you know, was in on it. But I'm not entirely sure whether that's right, but it's clearly that the players and the, and the manager and were led to believe Michael Edwards, none of them knew what was going on until they found out about, about it on Sunday the, the same as the rest of us. So, in that respect, perhaps while there are going to be protests, and you know, quite understandably so, the person who they should be protesting is actually over in Boston. Just you know, I'm not, I don't know what he's doing. You know, he'll be getting on with his day. Um, but you know, hopefully, if the the protests that do happen, they won't detract from you know, like we saw. You know, I was at Leeds, was now on Monday, and. You saw that the players were not so much taken aback, but you know they were a little bit surprised at the strength of feeling that was aimed towards them. Although, obviously, in, in retrospect, if, you know, Jurgen Klopp said it today, he understands why they were the, you know, the lightning rod for all of this because they were the people who were there at the time. And you know, you know, so it is going to be difficult for Liverpool in that sense. But if they are going to protest, it has to be against what they believe. But how how can they protest against anything other than during the game? You know, because it's an occasion, isn't it? And it's an occasion where the thing that FSG represent, well, are represented, which is Liverpool Football Club, the thing that they own, that's the the, the main business. So, if you're going to protest, that's the best way to do it. Is that games? But it is a tricky one, isn't it? Because Jurgen Klopp came out today, didn't he, at his press conference, and he says, "Look, they've made bad decisions," and he was totally against this one. But what's the point in, you know, basically, what's the point in massively kicking off about it? It's happened now, or rather, it hasn't happened. You know, so he's rather look up things that could be happening, like Lynch, you said about the Champions League, that's going to be changing. Uh, I mean, that rule to get those two teams in, this historical thing, that's basically, I thought, well, we all think that's complete nonsense anyway. Essentially, the Super League was that, but times six, instead of two, it'd be 12 teams or 15, I should say. So that in itself is just, that, that in itself is just the kind of self-interest that you just, and close shop that that's totally against what sport's about and why. It was interesting that the players were so massively against it as well. Because something that actually got lost a little bit, and I'm not sure whether anybody saw this, is obviously Adam Ballana used to play for Liverpool. He spoke after the game, Chelsea nil, uh, nil nil with Brighton. And he was told, oh, by the way, looks like Chelsea have gone and now City have gone. He says, what's it been like for the players? And he says, well, since, we've, since we found the news out on Sunday, for him, he's had this feeling in his stomach all the way through since then. And I think possibly fans and journalists and whoever can relate to that for different reasons. Of, of that kind of sense of unease at what was going on because they knew it wasn't quite right. And that's why there's been such a universal, you know, I wouldn't say universal because, well, if you if you believe Perez, 99% of the Real Madrid fans are actually for it. I mean, how does he know that? And I think, again, FSG's mistake is possibly, you know, Lynchy was saying they've got no excuse for it. Then you have to think of reasons why they were so sucked into it and persuaded. And I think it's because they just bought into what Perez was saying. Saying, oh, the Real Madrid fans will be massively for it, so Liverpool fans must be as well. Obviously, it turns out that Liverpool fans are Arsenal, United, City, Chelsea, the other team that somehow got into it. Um, 
Tottenham, they uh, they uh, they're all exactly the same. So it's uh, I had to get me digging on Tottenham though. By the way, I think I've waited I've waited a full week to do that. To be honest, Tottenham in the Super League, oh, come on. If, if any there was any sign of why it was just a load of nonsense, it was that. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, absolutely. I think a, a lot of people have been in agreement with you on that one throughout this week. Joe, just before we, we move specifically on to Jurgen Klopp's press conference, I know David touched on it before, but does this just sort of teach us really that fans really do have the power to change things moving forward? And we shouldn't just stop at the Super League. There's other things, there's other huge issues within the game that fans maybe could continue to protest and ultimately get the result that we want. Absolutely. But it's like what Dave said, isn't it? It's just about focusing those those protests on those sorts of things. You know, ticket prices, Liverpool fans obviously made a, a huge statement. It was 2016 now when they walked out over the ticket prices. And I do wonder if more fans, you know, crossed, crossed club boundaries and got together and, and made an actual protest, whether they could do something about it. Because after, after what we've seen in the last few days, clearly the pressure can work. But... You know, quite often it's it's tempting for fans to just protest against something that's happening in their own club. But this was something that, that united clubs. And it would be interesting to see whether fans could focus their attentions on other areas of the sport now. Because, as you say, there are many things that are wrong. Ticket prices. The one thing that the sort of... That I noticed was... Was it Perez saying something like, young fans aren't engaged. They're not, they're not falling in love with football. And I think... I think he's, he's possibly right, but I think the football clubs have so much of a responsibility to try and get those young fans engaged. I mean, how difficult is it for young fans to to actually attend the game nowadays? It's very difficult. They can if they can get a ticket, it's expensive. You know, should the clubs in pre seasons be doing children's events to try and get more children to to come come to Anfield with their parents, make it cheap, make it accessible, and and make the players accessible? You know, I always think about they go across America, don't they, or you know. Southeast Asia doing these player events and fan events but you, you hardly ever see them here and it would be great if they were doing more sorts of things like that and I know they go into local primary schools and stuff but you know throughout the summer to try and get kids engaged and to try and get them through the doors at Anfield or Goodison or wherever else and try and give them a chance to fall in love with the game because nowadays it's getting harder and harder and if they don't play FIFA they probably don't get into football do they so you know, I, I think there's so many things that they could do um, and fans have got a large part to play. Um, it's just whether they can mobilise and, you know, put the tribal rivalries to one side and do it. Um, that That's going to be the difficult point of view because I think the Super League was something that really tapped into people's emotions. And I, I do wonder whether other issues will do the same thing. Um, you know, let's face it, we all tend to worry about our own clubs, don't we? Just yeah, on absolutely. just on Joe's point there about engaging fans, um, another issue is not just getting them in the ground, is it? It's, it's the fact that if you want to watch every football match that's on, you've got to be subscribed to BT, Sky, Amazon, uh, you know, Premier Sports. If you want to watch Spanish football or whatever, or Italian, and it's like, you know, the, these kids as, as well as not being able to get in the ground, are reliant on the parents being able to fork out nearly two grand a year on subscription fees to various you know, different broadcasters. And I think it's yet again another example of how capitalism doesn't work in, in the football environment. You know, we think this is the national game that is extremely special. 
Doily's laughing because I'm on my left wing round. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, but you know, the, the idea, isn't it, that you have multiple broadcasters is that competition benefits the customer. In what way does it benefit us to have these multiple broadcasters? Because it just gives you separate subscription fees you have to pay out to each. It was much easier for me as a consumer, even though it was a monopoly, to just have everything on Sky or most of the games on Sky as it used to be. Um, you know, this this doesn't serve us in any way for it to be split up in the way it is, and it and it certainly doesn't help to engage any children or future football fans. It's got to don't be forget, mutually say, beneficial say, as well, hasn't it? Sorry, I was, cool. was going to say. Don't forget, in the old days, I when I was growing up, none of the games were on telly. They were, and uh, the ticket prices but were it, not. But it cost, you, it cost you. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, But then on top of that, though, you had the problem of hooliganism and, and grounds were just not full. So in terms of in terms of a crisis of interest in football at the moment is nothing like as bad as it used to be, but they've got to make sure that they they learn the lessons not necessarily from that because it's a completely different situation. But you know the way I looked at it is when he when Paris said forty percent of sixteen to twenty four year olds aren't, aren't interested in football, I was like, wow, sixty percent are. That's yeah. actually quite that's actually quite a big number. That is a lot of people. So if you've got such a easy from his from his point of view, a captive audience, then more has to be done to get them into the game. More has to be done to get them to get them playing the game. Okay, it's great that they're on FIFA and everything, but they'd rather be out there playing it. And then we're just going, you know, we could be here for days doing this particular podcast. These are an awful lot of other these are things that are out of football's control. So they have to concentrate on the things that they can control, which is getting people back in the stadiums, making sure it's you know people are interested and whether we like it or not. It's people paying to watch it on television. And I think that's, in that sense, you can see why they were kind of a bit, bit worried. But I think, as we've just mentioned them, for the 40%, 60%, that was just an excuse to try and make more money. Just just mentioning there, and trying to get children engaged, I think back to when I was younger, one of the things that, that I liked about football was the kits and having the kits. My parents would buy me one, you'd wear it, you'd go yeah. out and play it again. You know, how can you go out and buy kits for kids when they're so expensive? They bring out three every season. You know, everything is being moved away from making the game affordable and accessible. But people buy them, that's anyone. the thing. They wouldn't do them. If they, this, this is, again, this is where if you want, if fans want to make a stand, then they have to not buy the kits. You know, they have well, to, for a short the term, point. they have to basically financially hamper their own clubs to, in the long term benefit themselves and therefore the clubs so it's kind of like a virtuous circle no but then we're, we're putting the responsibility then back on the supporters and i don't think that's fair if someone's being exploited the problem is the one who's doing the exploiting not the one who's being exploited and i think in situations like that that's why legislation's absolutely crucial because this is the national game and if we want to encourage it you can't put that in the hands then of the, the, you know these capitalists who want to make money you've got to put you're it right. in the hands of government i think you can't legislate kit prices, can you? But what fans can do in terms of a protest is to just not buy them. That's a kind of a form of protest, isn't it? The problem well, is that's yeah, never going to happen, is it? Should. But yeah. Yeah, they, they know that that's not going to happen, don't they? they? They know that the audience is so big that even if it's only a small percentage, they can still do that. But uh, we will move on slightly to what Jurgen Klopp had to say in his press conference. I'm sure he would agree with much of what we've spoken about so far on the podcast. And Dordie, I'll come back to you on, on this one. I thought there's been times this week where not just Jurgen Klopp, but Pep Guardiola and, and several other managers and, and players have painted themselves in a really good light in the way that they've spoken. What did you 
sort of make a, of his press conference today, specifically in terms of, of what he had to say on FSG and, and the Super League in, in general? I think, as I, as I pointed to before, he's basically said, look, they've made some bad decisions, but we can't just forget all the other stuff that they've done, the positives that Lynch has said. You know, they've got the, the team, you know, the club is sustainable. They're not in the same situation as Real Madrid and Barcelona. They're not being used in the way that Manchester United are by their particular owners. But by the same way, they're not like Manchester City and PSG where they don't have these limitless funds. So in that sense, they're actually runners are quite, you know, quite a decent, decent business. And from a sporting side, Klopp, thanks to FSG, he's won the Champions League and the Premier League. I mean, it's the other way around as well. It's thanks to Klopp and the players that he's bought, FSG have overseen Liverpool winning those trophies. But there is a relationship there. And obviously, Klopp made it clear that he was against the decision that they'd made. I mean, what more could he do, if we're being perfectly honest? What's he going to do, have a big tantrum and rant and rave and all that kind of stuff? He, he couldn't have said any more than, I'm totally against this. And what's more, he also said after the Leeds game, and I said this in 2019, so therefore the inference, and you knew I would be against it, because you know what I think about these things. So he'll be, he'll have been absolutely fuming on Sunday and Monday. He'll have been absolutely livid. So in, to a certain, and so with the players to a degree. So I actually think that I wrote at the time, the game, the, the points against Leeds, okay, they conceded right near the end, but that might end up being one of the most important points that they end up winning all season because they now look at the rest of these games, the last six games, and they'll be thinking, well, we've just got to go for this because we, we if, if you want us, you know, people say like, oh, we need to earn it which I thought was a little bit naughty of Leeds, if I'm being honest, to do that. Because, you know, it wasn't as though Liverpool's players weren't in in Champions League qualification. But uh, I think it's kind of galvanised Klopp, galvanised the squad for the short term. In terms of the long term, I don't see it having that much of an effect on Klopp's relationship with FSG, really. I would imagine the only thing he would actually be most upset about is the fact that they didn't ask him. But then they probably didn't ask him for his view because they knew exactly what it would be. And that was I made it ten times worse when they actually did go ahead with it because then he just said, "Well, hang on, I told you, I told you what I thought." So, yeah, I mean, it, it, all the managers have been in a difficult situation because they've had to front it up. And of course, with us being journalists, we've been asking them, and we've known that. And every almost every set question has been, "We understand this, but you know, we still got to ask you it." So, in that respect. I think they've all handled themselves quite well. I thought Klopp was very good at the press conference today. He said what he wanted to say. And as as Lynchy pointed to a, a little earlier in this podcast, and then the, just the Champions League changes are still being brought in. And Klopp was quite keen, wasn't he, to make the point, hang on, okay, that's gone. But there's still this other thing coming. And this other thing, which they, again, they actually showed me this time. And I said, it's rubbish. And they did it anyway. So, you know, that's, again, that's another reason probably why FSG, and we're not even going to bother asking him. As Dodi says there, Joe, obviously he's come out and, and said that they are good owners, they're good people, they've made a mistake and obviously he's been critical of them for that. But he says that his relationship is going to be good and, and will continue with them to be as it has been. But do you think he has to say that or do you think there is an element where he genuinely does believe what he's saying about FSG? I think he does believe it. I think you know he's not going to say everything that he wants to say about them. He's probably... As Dory said, he probably was quite annoyed earlier this week, and he's not going to come out. And you know, I think that would let's face it. I think that would probably just be unprofessional. There's no need for him to do it, but I think he does mean it. And I think that that is FSG ever since they've been at Liverpool. For every couple of good things they've done, they've gone and done something like this, which has just been completely stupid. So, you know, I think he's right. I think they've made, you know, they've made good decisions. I think they have had Liverpool the best intentions for Liverpool at times. 
but then they have made bad decisions along the way. So I don't see any reason to doubt him. Um, I think probably he hasn't said everything that he wants to say, but I think he'd be daft too, wouldn't he? I don't think all managers would do that. And you can't really blame him for it. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I'm sure this isn't the last we've heard of the Super League and FSG and all of this stuff. But, Lynchy, we will move on for the last few minutes of the podcast to talk about Newcastle. It should be a fairly straightforward game for Liverpool on paper. But, of course, their Anfield record so far this season has not been particularly brilliant. Just the one win, that was the Aston Villa win. Have you seen enough of them lately to think that their home form might be improving? And, and how do you expect Liverpool to perform tomorrow? Do they almost have, after this week, a point to prove? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it's back to normal now, isn't it? In the, in the minds of the players, at least. I know we will discuss the Super League stuff and, and that nonsense for, for much longer because, it, you know, like we said, we want to keep the pressure up on on owners and, and the football governing bodies to, to sort of make long-term changes. But I think for the players, this will just feel like back to normal and, and this is, you know, a big game for them, isn't it? In that, in that top four chase, I think, you know, these last three home games they've got now, it's against... 13th, 14th, and 15th in the in the table, I think, and you know it's that that's that's perfect, isn't it? To set up to 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 give yourself a foundation really to get into those Champions League spots. They've just got to make sure they continue that you know that little bounce they should have from the Aston Villa game. So as we said before, they, I thought they were good against both against Aston Villa and Real Madrid, um, and if that can be the catalyst to to winning three games on the bounce at home to finish the season, then I think they should get in the Champions League and. Newcastle, obviously, they're very nearly safe. They've been very poor all season. And I think even though they've had a little bump in results recently, you know, shouldn't really be posing Liverpool any problems. I think they should be going into this one full of confidence and, in, 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 you know, using those performances against Real Madrid and Aston Villa to, to give them that confidence that they, that they can go on that run. I think Newcastle, Doyle, are a bit of a strange team. They have been very, very poor this season for large parts of it. But you look at their team and they've got some decent players. I think Almiron, Wilson, St Maximan, they're all individually quite good. What have you made of them this season and what sort of do you think will be their setup tomorrow? Well, like most teams, I've hardly seen any of it because football is fairly rubbish with no fans there. However, I did see um, a fair amount of their game against West Ham the other last... Was it last week? It was last week, wasn't it? Yeah. Where they somehow nearly managed to completely mess it up despite basically being gifted two goals and then a, a sending off for, for West Ham. I mean, I was at the opposite the the nil-nil game at St. James's Park, which was the start of everything going a bit wrong, if you remember, over Christmas, where a game where Liverpool absolutely... You know, he battered them. Firmino missed some chances. Mane could have had a penalty. I'm sure something else happened in that game. Um, but, yeah, it was just... That's kind of been Newcastle. I mean, you, you kind of... You, you sense... It's hard... Again, it's it's hard to judge what the fans have been thinking about individual managers and teams because they're obviously not in the stadiums. But judging from social media, I think an awful lot of Newcastle fans aren't happy with the way things are going up there, with the, the style of play that they're playing. But, as, as you've said, it's going to keep them up. So... In that sense, Steve Bruce has done his job. Whether he's there next season, I don't know. I mean, I would imagine quite... It's interesting, isn't it, that hardly any managers have been sacked. I know Mourinho's just gone, but hardly any managers in the Premier League have been sacked this year because, compared to normal, partly because of the fact that, you know, clubs don't really know what the fans are thinking. There's not that same pressure with the fans not being in the stadium. So, I think Lynch is probably right. I think Newcastle are safe. I think they possibly need one or two wins if it got good positive results. That's it. They'll get them. But... If Liverpool don't win this game, they can forget the Champions League because they probably don't deserve it. 
In terms of the, the wider race for the top four, Joe, I mean, Arsenal play Everton tonight, West Ham have Chelsea tomorrow. Is it just a case of Liverpool just doing their own job and if they win, say, five out of the last six, they'll be in there anyway? If Liverpool win five out of the last six, I have no doubt they'll be in the Champions League positions because so many of those teams have got to play quite difficult games or play each other. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Lynch has written a piece about their home form and he's spot on. If They've got three home games, which in any other season, where you, you know, a, a banker's... This season has been different, but if Liverpool can put that right and get those games won, they'll take a massive step towards it. I thought the, the point at Leeds wasn't bad. You know, obviously in the circumstances when you can see the 87th minute equaliser, it's it's not great. You, you go away feeling like it's a loss, but before the game, it was, along with United, their most difficult, um, probably their most difficult fixture remaining. So, Leeds are playing quite well. I thought it was a decent point. So now you need to win these games that usually you'd expect Liverpool to win, but they've had they've had tricky times recently. But I thought the Villa game they played well, and I think you know they didn't really deserve to go behind, and they certainly deserve to win. And again, you know the Newcastle game earlier this season probably for me was the most frustrating game of the season, just because of the amount of chances Liverpool had, and you could just feel them start to stutter, and it, you know it, it it wasn't great in that sense so you know Liverpool really need to win this game as Doyle says I think if they don't win tomorrow um, they possibly won't get the Champions League because they don't they don't deserve it they need to win these games these these are the ones that you bank on um, you know to get into these positions so they, they, they just simply have to do it I've, I've remembered the other thing that happened at Newcastle by the way I uh, I walked into a patio door <laughs> uh, oh, that would have been good to see. <laughs> but fortunately, fortunately, uh, at Newcastle they opened up the executive boxes for the press. So rather than open the press box, they, so you basically you can sit in there or watch the game from outside. But I, I obviously being professional, I watched it from outside and didn't stay inside and watch it on the television. I wouldn't do that. Um, but before they get, they got like sliding doors anyway. Before the game, I went to walk out and walked straight into the door that I only 10 seconds earlier had shut. Fortunately, it was foot, fortunately, it was foot first, not my oh. head. So fortunately, and I just styled it out, just went, oh. <laughs> so got away with it, just about. I don't know whether you've ever styled anything, I'll be honest. Hey, look, look, me and Lynch have got the same T-shirt on. Although for some reason, his, his, fit, his, fit, his fit is a jumper, that's why. That's why. Yeah, yeah there you go. Right, we will uh, move on to our teams then. Uh, Doidi, I'll come to you first. Do you want to talk us through your defence? I assume we're all going to go for, for Alison Becker in goal. Um, yeah, I don't know where... We, we still don't know where Keller is, do we? Where is he? still not in training. Does anybody know where he is? No? Um, yeah, um, yeah, Alison in goal. Um, we'll have to be Trenchin and, and Robo, Robocop, the left-back. And then, by definition... It's going to be O's and Kabak and his and his fantastic new song, which anyone see that on social media, and uh, and and of course no Nat Phillips, which is a bit of a blow actually, because I thought that had Nat Phillips played against Leeds, that Liverpool would have won because that that goal doesn't get conceded at the end because he just heads it away, um, so that might be a bit of a a tricky one for Liverpool. Like, well, it's got to be Fabinho, hasn't it? Who has been doing pr- very well in in central midfield, so that is a blow. I mean, unless Liverpool do something crazy like play Ben Davis. Who's not played at all since he's joined, or he could play Reese Williams. Could play Reese Williams. There's every chance. Could play Fabinho midfield, but no, I'd go with Fabinho. 
Yeah, I'd go for Fabinho as well, David. What do you think it, it might be? And is is there a case, say, for, for someone like a Simicast or anyone like that? I think if if there is any chance of seeing him before the end of this season, probably Newcastle at home might be the one that you throw him in, but it does seem unlikely. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think there's going to be any chance of sort of seeing any of those fringe players, to be honest, outside of maybe sub-appearances. I think we won't see Ben Davis play for Liverpool before the end of the season. I don't think Simicast will get a look in unless it's off the bench late on. Um, I, I think he's just going to try try and go with with his trusted men, isn't he? And, you know, it's, and it, whoever's fit really until the end of the season. It, you know, the the only real sort of real team selection issue he probably has between now and the end of the season is is that front three, isn't it? But I think so. I think at the back, I think with Nat Phillips not being available, yeah, I think it'll be Fabinho, Slotson, and the rest is is sort of as you'd expect. Is that the same for for you, Joe? Do you want Fabinho at the back, or, or do you fancy him in, in midfield for this one? I think he has to be the back. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't see any um, any reason to change what the guys have said. Do you want to talk us through your, your midfield then? We'll move into the centre of the pitch. Yeah. Um, one of them, Thiago Jones. Curtis Jones is back, isn't he? He was playing pretty well before he um, he got injured and um, played quite well in, in the Sheffield United game, didn't he? Scored in that one. Um, and I just think if Liverpool are going to pin Newcastle back he might be a bit of a goal threat from from midfield the other option was to I was thinking about you know do you play those front four all together in a bit of a change system um, but I'm going to go for Jones yeah I was torn between those two as well to be honest I think I'm going to go with a two I'm going to go with Wijnaldum and Thiago obviously Milner, Cater, Chamberlain the other options Doody are you going to go for a, a two or a three and, and which two or three might they be well it's um, a three and it's Milner, Cater, and Oxlade Chamberlain aren't playing. And I will <laughs> pick. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> um, I will go with what Joe said The Witch, uh, Curtis Lab, and Alcantara, as he's famously known. Yes, David, what's your midfield? Um, is there any reason anyone's not picking James Milner? Yeah, because he's, he's, oh, he's old now and tired. <laughs> I, just, I, I just think. I think he might stay oh, he has? just yeah. on the basis that he, he, I, I think those games that he's been in, there's been a real clear sort of return to Liverpool's identity. I don't I think he probably could put it exactly, you know, completely down to James Milner, but I think he's a really good leader in there, understands what a clock team should be like and, and play like. And I think he's been a really good influence recently. I think he possibly did tail off late on against Leeds, but I think that's happened to a lot, well, you know, given his age and also the fact that, that's happened to a lot of teams against Leeds, isn't it? They're, they're ridiculously fit. So I think he could just go with, with Milner, Thiago and Wijnaldum again, just for that familiarity, which he seems to really sort of, you know, you know, really sort of think that's important. So I think that, that could be my three. Now, I was yeah. about to say that obviously Milner can't play because he's, he's done his tour of his former clubs, Aston Villa and Leeds. But he played for Newcastle, didn't he? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so there you go, he's got to play. I've changed my mind. Milner in. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I didn't go with Milner is because I want to go with that front four. But uh, you three have all made it a little bit more difficult for yourselves. Which one of the front four, Joe, is is not going to play with your front three? This tough. I, I'm going to go for the um, traditional front three, if you like, Firmino, Salah, and, and, and Mane, and bring Jota off the bench. I think I've said a few times on pods. I just like Jota off the bench. I think he he sort of if Liverpool are struggling or not struggling, but you know, sort of banging at the door towards the end, at the end of a game, he comes on and tends to seem to find little spaces. So I quite like him like that. 
Well, there was no Mohamed Salah from the start against Leeds, Doyle. I'm sure we'll uh, see him from the start in this one. Which one's going to drop out for you? Yeah, Salah plays. I mean, one thing we haven't mentioned is Shakiri, And I actually think when he's come on in the games that he's appeared in the last few few games, I think he's actually made a positive difference. I think he's been quite good. And I wonder whether or not he'd play and then realise, no, he wouldn't. So I'm going to go with Salah. Uh, I'm going to do a bit different though. I'm going to have Jota on the left and I'm going to put Mane down the middle. And the part of the reason for that is that if they are going to make changes, and I know people say, well, bringing Firmino on is not as good as having Jota coming on. But if you bring Firmino on, he can move Mane out of the middle and then put him to one of the other places if Mane is not the player he's replacing. So there is kind of a scope for doing things a little bit differently. And as I say, Shakiri, Oxley Chamberlain's another one who thinks, okay, I know we did that miss against. Uh, leads right at the end where perhaps he could have actually hit it rather than passed it back to the keeper. Liverpool could be in fourth at the moment, but he's another one I think is getting close. So, someone we didn't mention is really, apart from me joking about, was Cater. And ever since that Real Madrid game, he's completely dropped off you know, off the radar, hasn't he? So, you know, there are a few people, a few players there who, who would be desperate to have a point to prove, but it's interesting, isn't it, the fact we all mentioned Milner before is that it's the old time at the old stage that the, the guy who's done it all before. He's the one that's helping, you'd think, get Liverpool a little bit nearer that top four. And finally, David, what's your front three going to be? Who's going to miss out for you? Um, I think, obviously, Salah's going to come back in. And I think maybe if he's trying to manage the wingers' minutes, which is what the Salah, you know, not starting the last one sort of suggested to me, is maybe, maybe does he pull Mane out for this one and he's he's just trying to mix it up a little bit and, and maybe go with Jota there and, and then Firmino and, and give yourself Mane off, off the bench later on and so maybe those wingers I don't know if that's what he's going for is to sort of give them a bit of a job share until the end of the season and just make sure nobody plays too many minutes so yeah I think I think I'm going with Salah, Firmino and, and Jota. Just before we go then we'll do our usual match predictions. I'm going to go for a 2-0 to Liverpool win. I think they might keep a clean sheet and I think they'll get one or two goals. Doily, what are you going to go for? You know, I'm absolutely fed up watching these rubbish games at Anfield. 4-0 to Liverpool. Finally. Fair enough. Well, it's the, the penultimate penultimate one without fans, isn't it? Because uh, there's only three home games left. So, uh, Joe, what do you think? Will we see uh, a big win for Liverpool? I'm just shocked that I think I must have done Hundreds of blood bread pods now, pretty much hundreds, I think is fair. And I don't think I've ever heard Doily predict a 4 0 Liverpool win because <laughs> I'm just so fed up. That's why it's like nothing I'm saying works because obviously no one listens to a word I say. So, <laughs> well, uh, Newcastle to score first, Liverpool to win because Newcastle Ooh. always do that annoying thing where they crap. Mind you, it might have happened like once, but it's just in my head that they, they, end, up, they end up like scoring from nowhere. And you think, how the hell have they done that? Well, the last, last game of last season, wasn't it, where they did that? They scored within about five seconds. Yeah, that's Maybe right. Made yeah. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. David, I didn't walk finally... into a patio door that day. <laughs> that was the bonus, uh, David. <laughs> Which was the one when the, the, the fullback cut in off the left and pinged one that, into that's the top what I, corner? No, that was that's Anfield what I was thinking season, about, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Was that yeah, last that season or the season before last? Last season, I think. What was that, Jane? Great goal. With uh, Jetro Willem score. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was the home, wasn't it? Yeah, the 3-1. Yeah. Was that so, the one yeah. after five seconds that you were saying? No, no, no that, that was the away, that was the away one. I yeah. can't remember who scored then. Yeah, I don't think Newcastle are very good. I think Liverpool might. I, I think they're just <laughs> capable of going on a little run here. I think they've, they've got all this experience of getting top four before. So I'm, I'm just hopeful that Liverpool might make this comfortable. I'm going to say three now. 
Yeah, I'm sure all Liverpool fans would take that. It's about time they had a comfortable home win, isn't it? Well, certainly a home win at Anfield rather than in Budapest. But that just about brings us to the end of today's podcast. Make sure you catch all of the content, as usual, that we'll bring you across Blood Red and the Liverpool Echo around the game. There's a really interesting podcast on your way on Sunday as well. That's with an executive at Swansea. He's also an owner with a Danish top flight club. He doesn't hold back on the European Super League, FSG and the future of football after this week's events. For now, though, from myself, Matt Addison, from Ian Doyle, Joe Rimmer and David Lynch. Until next time here on the Blood Red channel, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.